Welcome back to the Peaked Too Early podcast, the only podcast as inconsistent as the England national team. I'm your host, Blake Munchell, and I'm joined once again, it's been a long time coming, by my lovely co-host, Oscar Saywell. Yes, I'm I'm back with a bang, hopefully, after a topsy-turvy week, um, but I'm very excited to be back talking about football in this international break. Yes, I'm very grateful to have you back. It was very nerve-wracking to do a podcast by myself. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the what the third podcast in, and I abandoned you already. It was a very good podcast, though. I have to say, I was impressed. I was very yeah, impressed. but the two reviews I got uh, have both been positive. So good. Yeah, I guess I'm not yeah, as bad as I think be. I am. No, you sounded very professional, given the circumstances. Yeah. Well, hopefully, it's a rare occurrence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, Here's Oscar, how is this podcast going to work today? Well, it's it's the international break, which I have mixed feelings about. I quite like international football, but got to say I missed the Premier League. Um, so what we're going to do today is basically talk about some topics that we have some opinions about outside of regular football. So we've got chat today about the current England squad, which I think is something that we both have pretty strong opinions about. We're going to have a conversation about international football and COVID, which is obviously very relevant. And then we're going to cap it off with a few different things. We're going to talk about some splash the cash signings, some panic buys, always always fun to talk about. Maybe talk a little bit about players switching nations um, and like the morality issues surrounding that. And then maybe if we want to at the very end, some VAR and handball rules, our thoughts about that. Sound good? Sounds very good to me. I'm excited for you to hear my hot takes. Um, uh, yeah, the hot I takes were a, they were a little bit down uh, with last week's episode because I didn't have yeah. anyone to like stir up. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to them. Yeah, but you're taking this first section. Do you want to? Yeah, take it? I am. And I mean, hopefully this won't be too rambling. But I mean, I just want to talk in general about this current iteration of the England men's national team, you know, spearheaded by Gareth Southgate, uh, a man who is variously praised and and dragged over the coals for the decisions he makes. It's been an okay international break for England so far. We beat the Republic of Ireland. We lost to Belgium 2-0, who are still somehow ranked the number one best team in the world, where we played, I think, I mean, we'll get into it. We played very good football, but obviously lost 2-0, so it can't have been that great. Um, What I want to talk about to start with, and I have it here in my notes, the question, Gareth Southgate, is he terrible or is he good? And I just want, I want an immediate reaction from you. So. I mean, I I know that you know that my opinion on this is shit. Um, but I personally do not think Gareth Southgate is a very good manager. Hmm. Um, which brings into the discussion this whole other topic of like uh, national team management. Uh, it doesn't seem to have the same attraction yeah. that club football has. Yeah. Um, 
you have some like especially with the italian national team you get some like world-class managers but Mm -hmm. like uh you have roberto martinez managing the belgian national team uh for what feels like 10 years now yeah um he is still the manager correct he is yeah 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 i don't know how he's kept a job well, I mean, they perform well, I suppose. I really don't know how the mm-hmm. whole ranking system works slash it just seems kind of ridiculous anyway um, because who should really be number one in the world? France, because they've won the most recent major trophy. But yeah, I mean, even with a, a nation like France, you have a manager in Didier Deschamps who, I mean, it doesn't necessarily pull up trees. I mean, I think I think I agree with you. This is. And we'll hear more of your take in a second, but this is part of the problem where there's a real dearth of quality managers who implement groundbreaking or even maverick ticks, Um, which is, I think, actually part of the reason uh, why I think Gareth Southgate is a perfectly serviceable international manager. But before I talk a bit about it, elaborate on why you would say he's a poor manager. So... I mean, I, of course, I don't have the history of watching and studying the English and England national team like you do. Mm. Um, But I feel that with such a phenomenal squad that should every international tournament, England should be at least in the final four. And they did do that in the uh, in the most recent World Cup. And I sounded hella American right there calling it the final four. Yeah, but I meant the final four teams, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the semis, uh, and I mean he certainly has not done that. Well, well ha- how many international man- How many international tournaments has he managed since twenty sixteen when he took? It's just the yeah, because uh, Hodgson was for the Euros in twenty sixteen, and then I mean he's done Nations League if you're going to count that, uh, um, where we got third place. I mean it's so irrelevant. I don't even know. Blake, for anyone who doesn't know, is definitely exaggerating when he says, I've studied the England national team, which I haven't. I actually don't care that much about the England national team. However, you know, as 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 things go right now, I am kind of a Southgate fan. I think that I think that Gareth Southgate is essentially a victim of his own success. And so I think, you know, England hasn't had this level of success in the terms of going deep into tournaments since the mid to late 90s. Obviously, that was the big deal that everyone made in the 2018 World Cup. It was 20 years since we went that deep into a tournament. And, you know, Southgate, I think think you're touching on something there that is correct. We have such good players in our squad or players that are available that unless, unless Gareth Southgate wins the Euros next summer, uh, given it goes ahead he'll be criticized for s- several things first of all he'll be criticized for the formation he plays second of all he'll be criticized for the players he didn't play and that's a that's a big issue i think there's this saying that having a big squad gives a manager a good headache and i th- think in this case gareth southgate is definitely going to suffer from the fact that he has this remarkably deep squad especially in in his attacking lineup, where he he's going to struggle to put together a team that's going to satisfy everyone, and I think 
is the problem with England fans. Frankly, England fans are absolute idiots, right? We expect for some reason that we should be winning everything. Uh, when, you know, hilariously, we haven't won anything since 1966, when football was barely even invented anyway. So Pengland. Exactly. Or lose, losing on Pengland. I mean, West Ham won that World Cup anyway. It wasn't even England. It was just a West Ham squad disguised. Oh, wow. In, Look at in you. Three lines. But yeah, I mean, I'm sort of criticizing Southgate there. I, I just think that he's a perfectly serviceable manager. I'm not sure who else we would turn to who would do a better job. Uh, that's my main drive here. I think tactically on the pitch, international teams or national teams, who wins tournaments? It's teams that are well set up. So Didier Deschamps, this France team doesn't play scintillating football. They didn't win the World Cup by blowing teams away. They won the World Cup, you know, by having uh, an incredibly solid back four and then Kante basically, you know, motoring around like he does and sweeping up balls and then giving it to the likes of Antoine Griezmann, who slots them away for France, right? So, I mean, I think Southgate playing a conservative style of football probably will get him deeper into tournaments, but it won't excite any of our fans. And this is England's great undoing is our fans are insane. They're, they're overly emotional. They expect too much of the squad. And this is why we fail year after year. But then some people would criticize me for just going for medi- mediocrity. So I, don't, I think it's a lose-lose situation. Yes. Yeah, so uh, with you saying uh, that who do you replace Gareth Southgate with? Mm. I can think of one manager who he does excellent tactical setups. His current club is sitting in the relegation place in the Chinese Super League. One Rafa Benitez Benitez. may be looking for a job if he gets sacked at the end of this year. National team's job. Yeah, I mean, you'd love to have a manager like Rafa, right? I I mean, I don't think it would ever happen. I think I recall Rafa Benitez saying in an interview like six or seven, eight months ago that he's looking to stay in club football for the foreseeable. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a shout, but I don't, I just don't think it's necessarily feasible. And I think this is the issue where it's like Gareth Southgate is uh, a serviceable manager and he's you know, he's delivered consistency. And I know I've been going on, on, on and on, but the biggest thing for me, and probably the biggest reason I like him, is this basically media campaign he spearheaded to repair the relationship between England's football players and the media. You saw this in the World Cup where BBC was running daily podcasts featuring interviews with players, and they've, they've really repaired the relationship such a toxic relationship um, with, you know, English tabloids or even more mainstream media um, in recent years, which I, for one, really appreciate because it feels much more unifying. But yeah. Yeah, um, I I certainly agree um, with that, uh, like in the terms of repairing a relationship that was broken because uh, for most of my life that I've been watching football, uh, like I've known England as like this like, never-ending stirring pot of drama 
um there's like uh never ending calamitous yeah. uh fallouts and yeah. um like if you get embarrassed by the United States then there's a serious problem. Yeah. Um, so No, it's it's certainly embarrassing the whole um wags era. Uh it was it's just, you know, I'm glad it's a bygone one. Anyway, I I guess we should move on and I want to ask you not necessarily something like what formation do you think Southgate should be running with in the Euros, but what do you think Gareth Southgate should prioritize? Do you think he should prioritize making the most of this generational, generationally amazing attacking talent that we have? Or should he focus on trying to stabilize and grind out wins, which I think some would argue would get you far in tournaments? Which one should he do? So let me run some names by you. Yeah, I have some names too, because it's astonishing. Tyrone Mings. Oh, he's going in the back. All right. Uh, he, a player who certainly, until this season, was not known for being part of a steady defense. Mm-hmm. Eric Dyer, who is a walking laughingstock uh, and should not be in the England national team. Kyle Walker, who, yeah, sure, he's fine. Yeah, he's, he's been Michael uh, essential. Keen. Michael Keane, keep him w- away with a 12-foot broomstick. Don't let him near the England national team. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, an attacking midfielder, placed at right wing back. Harry Maguire, arrested in Greece. Yeah, These are the defenders boring. you have in the England national team. No Tarkovsky, no Ben Mee. Yeah, absolutely. Prioritize the attack. Okay. Say fuck all with the defense. Yeah, I mean, Gareth Southgate, he's been running this 3-4-3, right? Which he believes basically gives him stability. He feels he needs with this dearth of centre-backs. I can't believe you didn't even mention, I know he just got injured, but your, your hated Joe Gomez, who some tout to be the future of that part of that England uh, defense. See- I don't even think of him as a football player. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm saying that's, that's, that's hard. <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, in the defense, we have essentially incredible right-backs. We have, like, three or four amazing right-backs. Ben Chilwell. Reese James, Trent, Alexander-Arnold, and who else? Well, I mean, okay, we have those two are are approaching world-class. And then we have the likes of Carl Walker can play out there, Kieran Trippier can play out there. Then we got someone like Tariq Lamptey coming through. Uh, and Maitland Niles, who and I then guess has we've been playing got, a lot as a no, no, and then, back. Yeah, and we've got Aaron Wambasaka, lest we forget. Although I'm not oh, sure. Oh, yeah. He, he, I forgot about him. Else, possibly. Exactly. We have an incredible. I mean, I think I sent you a text a few weeks ago with like a, a starting 11 of English right backs, um, all in like the Premier League. It was amazing. But anyway, yeah. I mean, so we're, we're strong on that side of the defense and basically nowhere else. I want to read you out some attackers that I've listed because I mean, it is frankly Wait, incredible. Before, oh, go ahead. Before we move on from the defense, who's starting as that left wing back for the England national team? Ben Chilwell. And he just got injured, but it's Ben Chilwell. Oh. Yeah. He's okay. Yeah, he's a great attacking left back. Yeah, just not 
going backwards. Oh, uh, and we got and we've got um, Saka out there too, who's been. Doing uh, I forgot. Considering he's playing as like a right winger for uh, Arsenal, yeah, he's I forgot playing a that weird he's a left wing floating back. role for Arsenal. But yeah, can I read you out some attacking names? Yes. All right. Here's, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm misremembering people, but here's who we could genuinely be starting, bar a couple for England. Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Grealish, Sancho, Rashford, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Tammy Abraham, Phil Foden, Madison, Deli Alley before he fell off a cliff, and Mason Greenwood. That's who I have down as those attacking players right now. Never, never mind like a bunch of the attacking midfielders that we have. That is a ridiculous Mason Mount. Mason Mount. Yeah, it's a ridiculous amount of attacking talent we have that. Sam- Gates simply cannot force all into one lineup. I mean, we saw against Belgium, Grealish, he was the best player on the pitch by far. He started. But it, you know, he only started probably because who was it? It was Rashford and Sterling were both out. Yeah. And it's Drew just scares. Yeah. I mean, the the amount of options that Southgate has there is amazing. But the thing is, it's gonna feel discontent among the England fan base because inevitably someone's going to miss out and people are going to think that that shouldn't be the case. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. If not, we can move on. Um, I mean, I have like a, if I was managing England, I have a decent feel of what my life oh, yeah. would be. Yeah. Well, that um, was, that was going to be my next question. Basically. I mean, who do you want to see go to the euros? Other than Callum Wilson. And uh, Patrick Bamford. Although Patrick Bamford, I actually figured out he uh, declared for the Republic of Ireland. Did he? Yeah. So he isn't even eligible to play for. Um, I am like 95% certain he is declared for Ireland. Oh, didn't know that one. Which is he started his started his career for the U18s. Um. He qualifies to play for Ireland, and Mick McCarthy has said that he wants to play for Ireland, but he hasn't declared for Ireland. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I saw that he was like considering it or which. I mean, if he you said, last year he said have... I have not said yes, I have not said no while discuss while discussing his Irish allegiance. I mean, he's not going to get an England call-up. No, he isn't. He's 27 years old. He's the same age as Harry Kane, right? Yep. So, I mean, seven goals and eight appearances, and you're not going to get called up for England. Why not no, declare no. for Ireland? Well, well, we can get onto that in, uh, in section three. Yeah, we'll come three. back. Yeah, we'll, yep, come, back we'll come back to that. Let's wrap up this section with... I, I just You don't have to give me a full 11 because there's so many players, but who, who would you like to see go to the Euros? Or rather, if no, if they're all fit and available, who do you think has to be on that plane? Jordan okay. Pickford, I'm sure, is number one for you. <laughs> well, first of all, formation-wise, sod off with 3-4-3. Three, three. Uh, yeah, that Southgate won't keep that. Make, that doesn't make any it. sense. He won't keep it. Um, I want to see uh, Harry Kane flanked by Dominic Calvert-Lewin on the left, uh, Marcus Rashford on the right, uh, wingbacks of Saka and Juan Basaka, uh, oh. a midfield of Declan Rice 
and oof, can you put Jack Grealish in the middle? You'd be sacrificing a lot of defense there. Yeah, you would. Be. Um, he doesn't. He does not track back. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, and then a back three of uh, Ben, me, Tarkovsky, and Jamal Lascelles. Uh, three Jamal, players who have not been called up. Be serious. Um, of the of the current England defenders, uh, I guess it'd be Kyle Walker. Tyrone Mings and Harry Maguire. Yeah, yeah, I guess. That's a I mean, spooky, relatively spooky underwhelming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, in goal, we'll... I'll... Yeah, go ahead. Um, so uh, I listened to a podcast called the EFL Pod, um, hosted by like an Arsenal and a Man U fan, um, and they were arguing whether Dean Henderson should be the England number one, and like can someone who doesn't even start for their own club. No, can they start for their nation? Absolutely um, ridiculous. But I mean, if I have to pick between Dean Henderson, Nick Pope, and Jordan Pickford, Dean Henderson, he's still the best informed goalkeeper of those three. Jordan Pickford, he performs well for England. I don't think you can deny that. Whatever, what I mean, whatever yeah, he's it Mac is, and he performs well for England, and he's not going to get dropped by Gareth Southgate. That that ship has sailed. He would be picking Nick Pope or McCarthy or something by now if if uh, Pickford was out of the equation, I think. I'm just saying Euro 2020 or Euro 2021, whatever they're going to call it, mm. uh, Jordan Pickford will have a catastrophic mistake. Probably, probably. But I mean, until it happens, Southgate's going to stick with him. I I suppose. I, I've seen a lot of things over the course of the last week in all the podcasts I listened to about how Jack Grealish, I mean, people are raving about him, how he has to start. Um, I mean, he certainly has performed incredibly well in, in the matches he's played for England so far. And against Belgium, despite the fact that we lost 2-0, he was awesome. I mean, he had like 90% passing accuracy. He won 86% of his duels. He had three shots, two key passes, you know, uh, 76 touches. He won like seven or eight fouls, I think, um, which is pretty ridiculous. He's, a, he's definitely a maverick player, someone, someone that England have been crying out for and possibly someone that England have really not had in the modern era. Even Gaza was... A, like a box to box player, Grealish yeah, is just that's a all tough running can of at worms to yeah. bring up Gaza. Yeah, Grealish is just day. all he's all just pace and running at defenders and putting people on their backsides, and it's wonderful to watch. Um, yeah, whether all... his form is sustained throughout the season and he starts week in uh, game in game out for England is is another question, but I don't know. I I hope he does because he is brilliant. Yeah, he. So I discussed this uh, two pods ago, and I also think I briefly touched on it last week. Um, but for occasions such as international tournaments, you can't rely on like youth and potential. No, you can't. Because yeah. they're not about that. Yeah. You have to rely on form and established players. I totally agree. Um, and 
while I'll say Jack Grealish maybe has not established himself um, as a consistent player, he is in excellent form. Um, mm-hmm. And I think 100% he should be playing every mm-hmm. match for England. This is why I, I agree with you. I think that, but, you know, this is why I back the likes of Jordan Henderson playing for us, why I think Harry Maguire should be playing for us, why you always start Harry Kane, even the likes of Carl Walker at a centre-back role or Trippier on the right. I, I agree with these decisions in major tournaments because I think that's, that's what gets you through. All right, that's enough England chat. Let's move on to our next section. One you're yeah. going to take. Yeah, so we spent enough time talking about England. Now mm-hmm. we're going to move over to the United States and talk about their national team. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no one gives a shit about the, you got the me US there. You got me there team. for a second. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering if I would scare you or not. Um, so I, I uh, obviously uh, not... I don't have any loyalty uh, to the U.S. men's national team. Um, I obviously don't have any loyalty to the England national team. Um, but I still find some interest in international football. Um, and I find a lot of interest in uh, the pandemic, uh, COVID-19, if you're listening to this in the future, uh, and you've already forgotten what covid Well, there's been was two like. other pandemics. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. sure there will be. Um, there will be. But, uh, I mean, yeah, there's always an interesting discussion to happen with international football, especially with the current climate. Um, so I have a few questions for Oscar, who's a, a diehard three lions. Um, yeah. Bleeds Such blue a and patriot. white, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Such a patriot that he's <laughs> since moved to three different countries. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so just my first question is uh, like with these injury scares to players like Jordan Henderson and Raheem Sterling, um, potentially serious injuries to players like Joe Gomez. Um, and that's just the England national team. Um, other national teams have had some worse injuries, some better injuries. Um, and then with everything on top of that, COVID. Uh, how responsible is it to have international friendlies right now? Look, I think the short answer to this is that it's mind-numbingly irresponsible to have international friendlies at this moment in time. I think it is utterly ridiculous just from a players playing 60-plus matches in a year point of view and also from the unnecessary travel point of view. I don't really care how safe and well-run these bubbles are. It's completely irresponsible. Uh, yes, that is uh, like the... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Miguel Delaney for The Independent. Mm-hmm. He had this article um, that was put out maybe last Friday or maybe the Friday before. But he was talking about how all the different leagues have these plans for how they're not going to spread COVID. Um, And they basically have this like loose bubble um, where players aren't supposed to be going out after games or anything. And so you basically have a bubble of a few hundred players. Um, And as long as the bubble is remaining intact or 
once a case does pop up, it's being properly managed, then you can continue to have a season um, because it's being managed. And there are doctors who are hired to watch this stuff. And then the the FA says, like, saw it all and uh, sends players halfway across the world. Uh, you have, like, the U.S. men's national team traveling uh, who, where the U.S. is on their third peak. Uh, you have... Uh, international friendlies moving uh, to Russia where Russia is having their second peak right now. And uh, you're basically just doing a whole mixing pot of COVID. uh, And then you're going to send everyone back to do league football, spread it to the players who aren't on international break. And then I think inevitably we're going to have a huge pandemic or a huge, we already have a huge pandemic. Yeah. A, a, another spike, like directly, in line with this so i think it's super irresponsible to have these international friendlies i don't even know why you would agree to them um i yeah i mean it's so ridiculous i have i have seen no single argument no argument about why it's good it's completely irresponsible they shouldn't even be playing the nation's league never mind international friendlies well so yeah no one cares about national (laughs) nation's league yeah um so Expanding on that, what do you think of like Europa League and Champions League? Do you think that's in the same conversation that we should consider not having these? Um, because you have, for example, matches being played in areas like the Ukraine that doesn't have a, well, they have technically a lockdown, but it's nowhere near as strenuous as other countries. Um, and you have things like 12 of the first uh the Shakhtar first team testing positive and then going and playing international football. Um, mm. So yeah. how do you think the Europa League and the Champions League, do you, are you as adamant as you are about international friendlies? Um, I think international friendlies are kind of in a league of their own because they really give so little. I mean, I understand the argument that these international friendlies they give money to FAs that really need it but when you have you know like I mean I I know it wasn't a friendly or was it a friendly Republic of Ireland versus England regardless say that was a friendly yeah it was well I mean these these FAs don't need the money um so I think international friendlies are in the league of their own I wouldn't say I'm as adamant about the Champions League and the Europa League because I see what's going on there from a financial point of view and the demand for that is so much higher but i would still say it is ridiculous to have players squads traveling around europe during this pandemic i mean it just sounds like i'm repeating myself over and over again and we're all numb even now to this term the pandemic but it really is a pandemic and it is insanity that you know, you can't go out to a restaurant, but players can be flying to and fro from Kiev. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, I, I, the only way I would have been like very comfortable with this is if they had done some strange format where you do once the league season is finished, you do a six week bubble yeah 
mini with shortened yeah shortened group stages and whatnot and only x number of teams go on uh and it's all held in germany or portugal like this last one was um and then that way you can do a bubble and then that way the only people you have complaining is klopp um who's complaining that his team is too good so yeah no i i agree with you i think it's relatively straightforward from a moralistic point of view but nobody cares about that it's all about the money so it will continue and yeah my last question about this uh like morality um is uh if say west ham the team you support was like none of our players are allowed to go on international break Uh, you all have to stay if you go on international break you're not allowed to play for west ham for the rest of the season um do you think that's a a let me try to think of the correct way i want to phrase this do you think it's a non-reprehensible action by a club a club says well i don't want to risk a a covid case like a player coming back who ha- unknowingly has covid then spreads it to the team and we have to forfeit matches um right i yeah. think i see where you're coming from i mean not to be facetious but it would never happen because the teams just simply do not have the power to do that from a contractual point of view probably if they were to do it i mean yeah i think it it would probably be defensible because you know you don't want to risk spreading this because it's not just the players that you have to bear in mind it's all the club staff and everyone involved with the football club and all their families and a bubble is never really a bubble frankly um so yeah i don't know There's, it's a hard question to answer because it's such a hypoth- hypothetical one um if it happened to west ham and they said oh you can't play for club for the rest of the season would any would any player choose to go and play for their international side over that surely not well i mean it's just declan rice so <laughs> no what no. No, sorry, for West Ham, Declan Rice is the only Oh sorry, never mind. No, I was thinking yeah. for some reason I was thinking England internationals in my head. No, no. Yeah, right, right. We've got loads of players out. It's nerve wracking. Yeah. Because I don't want got to get it. injured. Yeah. So it, in my head I was like, this isn't even like a thing I have to think about because no Newcastle players ever get called up to the national team. Uh then I was like, Oh wait, never mind. Like yeah. every other player Yeah, gets called up for somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, some of some of Newcastle's players are like the best players for their national team. Yeah, like Fetty Fernandez, best player for Argentina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on. Uh, so internationally, um, and this is actually something I work in, which is like a, a cool thing that I can discuss some work I do. Well, actually, I, never mind. Cut that. I'm not talking about any work I do. Um, but all around the world, pretty much every country. Uh, except countries that really have their shit on wrap. Uh, COVID cases, hospitalizations, deaths are all increasing. Um, do you think Euro 2020 slash Euro 2021 actually takes place? And I think I know your answer. Uh, really? Uh, yes, I do think it will take place. And why? Um, because I think if they're managing right now, to do international friendlies then they 
can easily next summer host a major tournament. I don't think that will be a problem for them, even if, I mean, you know, people are dying in the thousands every day and they're still playing meaningless games. So when a quote-unquote meaningful game is on on board, then I'm sure they'll get it done. Yes. Um, yeah, my my answer is like money talks. Um, right, so yeah, exactly. it'll make them money, so they're going to host the Euros. Um, uh, but this all came about by, uh, I think, people in the uh, footballing subreddit uh, on Reddit were talking mm. about like if Euro 2020s weren't to take place, um how like while it makes sense from a uh like epidemic management perspective uh teams like north macedonia would Mm. probably feel so hard done by uh that this is the first time they're ever qualifying for a major tournament uh and the they say uh yeah it's not happening um Mm. which like also with uh with hungary yeah i you think they just scrap it entirely and wouldn't i guess you can't just keep pushing it forever because we got the bloody world cup in 2022 yeah um i i mean i personally don't think i personally don't think they would ever scrap it but i think they like loosely should scrap it uh not in how the present has actually played itself out but uh, if they were actually really thinking about this with like health in mind, they never would have done it the way they did it. Um, I'm not sure even how they should like if going back in time and doing it again. I don't know how you could do it. Um, I guess you could do like a NBA style bubble, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I I I think while not hosting a huge international tournament is good for public health uh like obviously it's not the best case situation or best case scenario for everybody um and you have some very small nations who would feel very very hard done by uh by any modification to the euros so You're, you're you're right you're right because I mean, so what if what if uh, the legislative body says, well, like it's not so safe to have uh, all these nations participating in the Euros. We're only going to take the top sixteen coefficients mm. because realistically, they're the only ones who are ever going to win it, anyways. Yeah, that um, would be a hammer blow. Which, why couldn't that happen? So yeah, I mean the governing. Board- Bodies don't care about the spirit of the game anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, my last question is a little bit of a harder one. Um, and it's really digging at what is happening and why it's happening. But what happens if a player is playing because of this international break and they get COVID and they die? Like, how could any legislative body ever justify what they did if a player dies? I mean, we have players who beat cancer, who have compromised immune systems. We have players who have asthma. We have all these different scenarios. 
what happens if a player dies? I literally have no idea what happens. I mean, it's just, it's reflective, I suppose. No, not even in an extreme way. It's reflective of how hundreds of millions of people around the world are treating this pandemic, where it's like, basically the mentality is, if it's not happening to me, actually, then it doesn't matter. Slash, I guess I'll deal with it when it happens. And that's, that's, that's the way that these governing bodies are taking it, right? It wouldn't surprise me if they haven't even discussed the possibility of, never mind even a player, but like a coaching, there's plenty of old coaching staffs. Like Roy Hodgson is like 74, you know? If he contracts COVID, I mean, and I know that this virus attacks people, it's, you know, it can be indiscriminate and relatively random and super healthy young people can die a horrible death. But, you know, I'm frankly astonished that it hasn't happened yet. That's, that someone involved with football hasn't, you know, caught this and even had a really hard time with it. I, I, the answer to that question, I have literally, I have no idea. And it's just like, we're just waiting for something like this to happen. And there's no, there's no game plan. So, yep. That is exactly how I feel about this. Their, their priorities are not over health not over the well-beings of their players. And I think inevitably it might not be in a major league. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. It is. And then we're going to have to see what happens. But yeah. 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 Okay. So I ended the, my segment on a, uh, quite a low, a thoroughly um, depressing note, but absolutely. It's important to talk Um, about. Yeah, considering my both of our birth nations uh currently deep deep yeah. in the doo doo uh in the pandemic response. Um so Yeah. Yeah. It's not looking any better. We both live in uh the state of Maryland in the United States, uh and uh Maryland is not doing well. Uh they're just pretending they are. So mm-hmm. yep. It is yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into it too much because yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, recognize it. Okay. Oh yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Right. So times. Yeah. So moving on from a depressing uh, conversation for everybody to a depressing conversation for the club involved. That's great uh, segue. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, some of the summer signings uh, that may not be panning out. Um, and just kind of a, a little feeler for our opinions on these players and whether the sum them. they were purchased for was worth it. So, exactly. Oscar? All right, then. You know what? Let's just, we're just going to talk about these players one by one. And we've put them under splash the cash signings slash panic buys. And I just want to gauge your opinions on whether it was worth it. And we're going to start off with Rian Brewster transfer to Sheffield United from Liverpool. Bit of a boy wonder who a couple of seasons ago got a very horrible knee injury. I'm pretty sure it was a knee injury. Took a long time to recover. Basically missed a whole season. Went out on loan in, I think, the back half of 1920, if not the whole season, to Swansea City in the, in the championship where he... Uh, was excellent 
scored goals, played well in that sort of attacking fluid system that Swansea play. And then, you know, made the move, the jump to what I guess we all thought was a club that was extremely solid, who find themselves, I think, bottom of the Premier League. Uh, and so yes. alarm bells must be ringing for this player. What do you think? Was it worth it? From his point of view, do you think it was worth it to move to Sheffield United? So, uh, Rian Brewster playing for Sheffield United, who currently only has four goals scored in eight uh, Premier League games. The only club that is better than is Burnley, who sits one point above them. 19th place with two points and only one fewer goals scored. Rian Brewster, zero goals, zero assists, not playing well for Liverpool. Not, not playing, basically, not play- right? Well, three starts, one oh, sub wow. appearance. Three starts, one um, sub appearance in the Premier League? Yes. That's more than I thought. Um, so, I think- let me... Before you... Give me your opinion. Let me tell you some basic stats. He scored 11 goals in 22 appearances for Swansea last season in the championship. The squad that did not get promoted, even though I really oh, thought please. Freddie Woodman would lead them to the promised land. Andre Ayew. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, he... Uh, I think the most damning thing... Uh, for what's different between Swansea and Sheffield United. Last season in the championship, he was averaging two and a half shots per game. Now, starting for Sheffield United in three games, off the bench in one, 233 233 minutes, he has 0.3 shots per 90 minutes. Yeah. Basically, Brewster is struggling to adapt to this system that uh chris wilder plays and clearly he's not thriving from lack of service and yeah i mean he hasn't cut it in the premier league yet right and i think what i'm really worried about blake is that this is shades of dominic slanky this is what i'm really worried about obviously they're not the same type of player but they're the same kind of hyped wonder kid who leave liverpool for like 20 million pounds and you know, they're not cutting it. They're just simply not cutting it. And it's kind of sad to see. Well, so both Rian Brewster and Dominic Solanke like terrorized the uh, youth level international football. Like for England, they were both insane. Um, Like I think it was like a 16-year-old Rian Brewster uh, was doing bits for the U18 England national team. I really don't know what his problem is. Uh, he's playing in a system where Ollie McBurney and David McGoldrick are head and shoulders above him right now. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't think the two of them were Premier League quality last season when they had a great season. So. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly an, a very, very young player and... It is only eight games into the season and we have to give players of this profile time, but I think he must be must be very nervous at this moment in time. Yeah. Well, yeah. another problem is he's on a sinking, sinking ship. Hmm. Uh, 
And how many opportunities are you going to get on a sinking ship? I don't know. He'll have to write it. I I don't think Rian Brewster should be written off yet. Um, I do think $20 million or 20 million pounds transfer was a a huge risk. And that is not worth it. But I'm going to have to bookmark my analysis on him. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about, we can touch on him briefly. Nathan Ake, moved from Bournemouth to Man City. I know you always have doubts about defenders and goalkeepers who move from relegated clubs to established Premier League ones. I Um, sort of see this as a stopgap, basically. I don't know what you think. uh, Maybe a stopgap. My watching him, my opinion is even if he's not lighting up the stat sheet, um, I think he is the like one of the only players on the Manchester City team that's showing like for every minute he's on the pitch, he looks like he would die for the club, um, which I, I think is the problem with Manchester City right now. A lot of the players don't look super motivated. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Whereas Nathan Ake and like players like uh, Ferran Torres, um, because I guess they're new to the Manchester City system, they look hungry. They want to play for Manchester yeah. City and they want to win. No, I love him. I mean, and you know, left side, left footed centre back who can slot in on, you know, at left back, which has traditionally been a problem area for this Pep team. I think he's perfectly serviceable whether he starts week in week out for them is a different question but completely safe player to take a punt on and i think he'll he'll do a job for them this season for sure yeah i agree safe player what about kai havertz a wonder kid from by leverkusen who's been playing pretty consistently for a couple of years in sort of just behind the striker slash maybe a little bit out wide role but he's much better centrally um Tore it up for Leverkusa, both domestically and on the European stage, finding it harder to adapt in this Chelsea team. What do you think about Chelsea paying upwards of fifty million pounds for him? Upwards of fifty million, isn't it? Pretty upwards sure. of a hundred million. Is it? No, I, I, I believe it's. It, I believe the deal was like eighty million, seventy nine million with uh, incentives that go. Oh my goodness! Far what, over. Was that euros? Yeah. Um. You you look that up while I uh, I say some stats. Um, Sixty two million so, pounds. And is there any any um, like clauses or anything? I don't. Yes, there is. I think ten million in add-ons. So seventy two okay. mil. Yeah. I mean, that's big money. It's big uh, money. Yeah. Big money. And this is what they got for those $72 million. Seven starts in the Premier League. 554 minutes. One goal. One assist. And the most damning thing is uh, the bad controls per game of 3.9 which is horrendous. Uh, I'll see if I can figure out what, if he, I'm pretty sure he leads the Premier League. Um, 
He might be behind Jeff Hendrick, but I I think that it's far too early to write off a player like Kai Havertz, who is objectively a massive talent. I think he will come good for Chelsea, um, frankly. I think it's no wonder that a 21-year-old is taking a little bit of time to adapt to what is uh, you know, a difficult league. I mean, he's not... There were even question marks about Hakim Ziyech, and he seems to be settling in wonderfully well. Um, so. You know, I mean, 21 years old, one goal, one assist in the Prem. He's got that hat-trick in the EFL Cup. He'll be fine. I mean, I know that's yeah. hardly steering analysis, but I think you've got so, to back him to come good. Yeah, so my opinion is, while he may not be doing so great right now, he is in a system where if he's not scoring, if he's not providing, yeah, the team around him is going to score and assist anyways. Yeah. Um, so it gives him that little bit of comfort zone where he doesn't have to be the player who steps up, yeah. Um, because he's surrounded by five hundred million dollars. Patience, worth. patience is needed. Patience. Yeah, he. Yeah, I agree. He. I mean, he even said it himself. He's not. He's not up to Premier League standard right now, um, and he knows it, which is good. Um, and hopefully, he drives himself to. I hope so too. Being a better will. player. So the uh, the three point nine bad controls per game is fifth in the premier league uh, uh tied for fifth he's tied with sadio mane um, wow. so maybe this isn't as damning of a stat as i think it is um the players in front of him are jack harrison which i i totally see in jack harrison's game yeah. um mikhail antonio huh. uh 4.2 yeah. bad touches per game of course because oh don't get me started once again uh, love him but he he is a clown sometimes Keep going. two two west ham players in this top five wow can you guess who number two is Ooh. um this makes i'll great. give you a hint he oh, recently he, left yeah, west ham what anderson no grady diangana 4.4 yeah Bad controls per game. And oh, number one is, I think, if you had time to think about this, I think you could guess it. But if I put you on the spot, I don't think you could guess it. Give me a go. Give uh, me a go. Okay. With 4.5 bad touches per game, five goals and two assists, who is the uh, usually like second striker or winger who leads the league in bad touches per game? Uh... Um, he is oh, not yeah, from no, Europe. Oh, uh, Fernandez. Which Fernandez? For Man U. No. Okay. It is Wilfred Zaha. Wilfred, the big Wilf. Which it it yeah. makes sense, right? That's the kind of player he is. He yeah. needs the ball at his feet a lot of times. He's going to take on the defender every time, and of course, yeah. it doesn't pay off every time. So. All right, let's let's move on from Chelsea because every time we talk about them, I get depressed knowing that Declan Rice is inevitably going to move there next summer. You know what? I kind of, unless you really want to, I want to just skip over Bale. Was he worth it? It doesn't really matter. He's hardly a... He's yeah. not really a splash cash signing because he's on loan. It's just fun to have him in the league. You put down Thomas Partey. I'm interested in this. What, what are your thoughts on him? 
Well, so my thoughts are, this is why I put him on the list. I was looking through uh, transfer markets, uh, like all of the transfers from the last year. I was looking at the, the biggest price tags on them. And Thomas Partey for 55 million pounds. And what has Arsenal got for him? A pretty damn good player. Yep. Uh, this I put it on here because you wrote panic buys on oh yeah the on our little script and I I just remember uh like this went right down to the wire um and I don't even think they were but sure it, they were going to get it in on time. Mm, um, but does that count as a panic buy because haven't haven't they been lining him up for like two years or something Ridiculous. longer than that but i mean yeah. arsenal line up every yeah they do line up everyone uh, yeah. yeah anyone french uh anyone who speaks french anyone who speaks uh, french yeah i i would not be surprised if thomas Partey speaks french just by he definitely uh, arsenal does. looking at him yeah no yeah he um he's gone in so i'm sure he does um yeah no i i think this this is a wonderful signing for Arsenal. Um, and right now, uh, I don't think it's even that much of a hot take to say he's low-key being overshadowed by El Nenny, But clearly, he's going to be fantastic for them. And I guess it's just about whether he can keep a clean bill of health and help Arsenal out in what we all know is a definitely a stuttering start to the Premier League season. Yes, um, I... I... I put him on here as like an example of a good yeah, sale. Um, yeah. Other big money uh, purchases uh, that have panned out. Um, uh, Eberici Ize yeah. for Palace. I've loved watching him. Uh, mm. I think he's an, like an amazing player. Um, and I think uh, a signing that... Uh, this is like a general signings comment, uh, but I think a great deal is Jack Butland to Palace for mm. just just over one million pounds. Yeah, is a great signing. Um, I hope uh, I hope Jack rediscovers some form. Exactly, he's playing behind. He's playing behind one of the players who I think is one of the most underrated players in the Premier the League. Guaita, Guaita, yeah. 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 What a player he is! I, if um, we're talking, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, no, you can go. No, if we're talking, um, just random shout out signings. Uh, I want to talk about Vladimir Sofal because he's been incredible for us. Slotted in seamlessly into a Premier League side. I don't. I mean, it probably was a panic buy. It probably was basically like Thomas Soshek was like, "Please sign him," and the board, who have no idea what they're doing, were like, "All right." And it's worked out for them. I, I think he's been really brilliant. I'm really excited about him. And the plus is he's like 28. No one's talking about him. No one else is going to buy him. So we've got what is a solid player for the next two years at least. I'm very happy with that. Yep. He uh, starts at me. So starts for me at right back for my uh, FIFA Ultimate team. Yeah. So. All right. Um, That's wait. Uh, my last one because mm -hmm. this is actually a uh, one that we should probably discuss is a. Uh, Rodrigo to Leeds for oh, 33 yeah. million. Yeah. Uh for that 33 That's million so much money. Leeds who are high flying 
in yeah. three starts and three substitute appearances have returned one goal. Yes. Yeah, and he has COVID, I think, right now, so probably won't be seeing him. Yeah, not great. Um I mean, I think it's it's a fine signing. Didn't we see like Bielsa like play him at basically a central midfield role? Yes. Really, really he so... he has started Bielsa is so weird. He has started two matches at oh, the center midfield position. Yeah. I think that Clearly, Marcelo Bielsa wanted him, and so, like, who are, who the hell are we to question why? So I guess he'll just convert him into a central midfielder, and it doesn't even matter if he scores goals. So, yeah, $33 million for, and he's almost 30, right? That's a lot of money. Um, I'm yeah. very surprised that Leeds splashed that much on him. But I'm sure he'll do a job, because if Bielsa wanted him, then clearly he's, he has a plan. Maybe he's going to take over from, what's his name? In the midfield, the thirty-five-year-old, uh, Hernandez. Hernandez, maybe you know, who knows? Maybe he's going to convert maybe. him into a Hernandez successor for the next six years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We have two. Okay, here's my suggestion. We have two things left on this agenda. It's either talking a little bit about switching nations, players switching nations, or the implementation of VAR and handball rules. I kind of want to just pick one because we've been going for a while already. So which yep, which would you prefer nations. to talk about? Switching nations. It's been off VAR and handball for now. Okay. Yeah, there'll right be then. plenty of plenty of time breaks. Yeah, yeah, that we have to talk about VAR. Um, so uh, with international breaks and call ups and everything being such a, a driving force in the discourse of world football right now, um, and we even talked about it, like uh, Patrick Bamford. Uh, potentially being called up to Ireland and all this stuff. Um, but it all stems back to uh, me giving Oscar uh, the shits about uh, players like Declan Rice kissing the Republic of Ireland badge and then uh, within two years declaring for England. Uh, same with Jack Grealish. Um, and uh, I just wanted to know your opinion on players switching nations i think that people who have only ever grown up in one place clearly find it unfathomable that there are people that exist that feel love or affiliation for multiple different nations as someone who has moved around a little bit despite the fact it's been a while since i've done it i can certainly tell you that i feel affection for multiple different countries Obviously, I'm not a professional footballer, so I don't have the dilemma of who to play for. Um, I really, I don't like it when people go on and on and on about how it's ridiculous that you change your national team and how, you know, everything is fake. How can you, how can you be loyal to two different places at once? I think it's a bit stupid. And it, I really, I really think that only people who've grown up in one place really argue that at the same time i absolutely recognize especially with players who reject of all nations the republic of ireland for england i get why that stings i get why uh irish people you know there's a pundit who i like uh called barry glendening who works for the guardian and he is constantly talking about how much he hates the fact that Declan rice and jack Grealish switched over i get it but you know, 
also get over it. Yeah. Um, my, like, I, I totally understand what you say. And I'm a, unfortunately, uh, one nationality person, uh, only ever having lived in the United States. Uh, although perhaps that'll change uh, relatively soon. Oh, that's used uh, to me. Uh, we'll see. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, uh, in my opinion, it just feels like the rich getting richer with, uh, oh, a player yeah. who, uh, maybe he, he's not a world-class wonder kid. Um, so he decides to sign for the country or not sign, but declare for the country that, uh, his father recognizes and chooses to play for the Republic of Ireland um, all throughout the U9s, U12s, U16s, U18s. And then all of a sudden yeah. he breaks through and England just goes, okay, we'll take you. Um, mm-hmm. He gets his three caps. They decide, oh, well, you're really not up to England uh, standards. Yeah you're never going to get an England cap ever again. And then, well, you can't go back to Ireland. You've already used up your, uh, your, your senior caps. So, um, right. My my opinion, like, I guess like whatever, like I don't give a shit about the England national team. I don't give a shit about the Republic of Ireland national team. Uh, if, uh, I don't know. If Declan Rice wants to play for England, he can play for England. He was born and raised in England, has never exactly. lived in Ireland, for as far as I can tell. No, no. Uh, he did kiss the badge of the yeah. Republic of Ireland, which I think is so ridiculous. Funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess like I don't really care if you... I mean, yeah, declare. you can feel affection for multiple countries, but... But I will say... Like, yeah, to, I mean, yeah. To prevent this, like this hoarding of talent, uh-huh. um, I've floated this to you in the past. Of you can only declare down uh, in coefficients; you can't declare up. Um, yeah, it's so, decent. It's decent. I, I yeah, I mean, just because, but you know, you do all the hard work of. It's it's not like you break through because you know, you don't do anything and then, oh, one day I've broken through and I'm in contention to be good enough to play for England. Like, you're still working hard and and then you decide, I don't know. It, I think it just is what it is. It's like, you're never going to get out of a player. Like, I doubt Declan Rice is ever going to stand up there and be like, oh yeah, I don't give a shit about like the Republic of Ireland. I was just playing for them because I wanted to play international football and I, I actually only care about England. You don't really know these players' motivations. Some of them are probably, quote unquote, purer than others. You know, some probably do feel strong affiliations for two different countries. Others, they're just, you know, they see an opportunity and they take it. So it's a short career. Yeah, it it, it just, I mean, players like uh, like Serginio Dest, who right. like he was born in the Netherlands. Yeah, but he's and, like, obsessed with America. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. But I mean, for I think all the life he would have remembered since he was seven, I think. No, yeah, no. Um, he's... Like, I don't remember my life before seven. He lived in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think I. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I'm not mad that he declared for the United States. No, I mean, but, um, I mean, I think it's different. 
so I mean, again, you never know, but I mean, just Serginio Dest is hilarious because he has like a strong Dutch accent and like the guy is Dutch. Like, I don't think he'd even deny that, but he's also American and you can see in his face and you can see, I mean, he's good enough to play for the Netherlands a hundred percent, but he clearly wants to play for America for the, for the U S and you can see how much yes. it means to him. So, and, and, you know, it's the same with players like Wilf Zaha playing for Cote d'Ivoire, Alex Iwobi playing for Nigeria. It's like, you know, if you get rid, yeah, I mean, I guess this, this is where your like coefficient idea comes in, but, but you, you just never know if you get rid, if you scrap players being able to do this, then there's going to be some sad cases where it's like, oh, come on. It would have been nice well, for a player to do this, so, you know. Iwobi is from Nigeria. Yeah, but he grew, I know, I know. plays for the Nigeria national team. That's what I'm saying. So Iwobi is from Nigeria. He, play, he plays for the Nigerian national team, but he grew up in England his whole life. I mean, I'm pretty sure he came to the UK when he was like two. So he's English and Nigerian. You know, he could have played for England as well. So it's like, if you get rid of one thing, then you have to get rid of the other and i think that's a shame players feel multiple different like types of affection yeah uh quick tangent did you know that uh alex awobi is jj akacha's nephew i did it is excellent stuff that that is wild what a family oh my god we have to do a podcast one day of footballing families because this is something i'm utterly obsessed with i love it the 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 gems you on earth it's so great yeah, so uh, I am a fan of American football as well as regular football. Uh, and the team I support is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have a player who is currently playing for the Steelers, and his grandfather also played for the Steelers. And it's such a cool, uh, like, dynamic uh, that this player just ended up joining a team that his grandfather played for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely like we the, should do um, families. Oh my God. Yeah. There's so many like the Maldinis. You got, what's his name? Cesare Maldini, the granddad who was a Milan legend. Then you've got the Maldini who is even more of a legend. And now you've got his son who's starting to make appearances for them as a striker. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Footballing then, family, footballing dynasties. Great stuff. You have uh the the hajis you have the piezas yes so yeah you've got all these like oh the tarams is that's so great you've got yeah did you see um did you see uh so the the son is marcus right no but there's two sons the other one is kefren turam he plays the niece and he's amazing and he's so they're both so good he's only 19 so Marcus is the one with the France call-ups, right? Borussia Mönchengladbach, yeah. He plays for Borussia Yeah, so Marcus Thuram plays with... Oh, man, who's the Marseille goalkeeper? Mandanda? Um, uh, uh, Steve Mandanda, yeah. yeah. Um, and Steve Mandanda played with Lillian Thuram. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, 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 which it's is wild. Stuff. It's just fantastic. I love, I love this kind of stuff. Yeah, there you go. That's the next the next international break podcast. We we'll do the families yeah. section. All right. Time to wrap up. Yep. This was fun. This was a great, great international break. Um, yeah, I guess we're wrapping up here. 
thank you everyone for listening to the latest episode of the peak too early podcast make sure to give us a follow on twitter at peak too early pod you can follow me on twitter too at oscar o-h-s-c-u-h blake what's your handle b munch b-m-u-n-s-h and then you can email us at peak too early pod at gmail.com with any and all of your questions which we will answer i guess yeah we need to shout out vivian friend of ours yeah who sent us a voice memo which i guess maybe i will try and slip in either at the beginning of this podcast so maybe you've already heard it or at the end we'll see we'll see yeah but yeah shout out vivian shout i lived with her for two years three yes. years two years so an icon a wonderful woman all right um thank you very much my dear friend blake that's all we yeah, have for you today you for joining folks. me and stay safe and see you next week Yep. Bye. Take care. I'm standing.